Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Today, uh, today starts three weeks of us talking about faith. And what's fantastic is that I will be speaking on faith by faith because I don't necessarily feel like I got much of it. I was complaining to Tiffany yesterday, saying to her, and I, you know, and this and that and the other, and I'm talking to her about what's going on. And to top it off, I have to talk tomorrow about faith. And she looked at me and she's like, well, that's perfect. Shouldn't you have to talk about faith by faith? And I was like, <laughs> it's perfect. When you, uh, <laughs> when, when you set up the preaching calendar, it's a little bit scary, you know, because you make plans to talk about something, uh, you know, six months in advance sometimes. And I don't know about you guys, but when you make plans with someone and you sit down and it's like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do a weekend at the coast. And because you can't do it immediately, you kind of look down the road and you say, yeah, let's do it in fall. Let's do it this weekend in September. And it never fails that that ends up being the worst weekend to go to the coast, you know. But you've written it in your book. And it's a little bit like that when when we set up a schedule here for preaching. I feel like I make these decisions. I know what I'll do. I'll talk about faith in December. This is a month of expectation. This is a month of preparation. And it never fails that I get to the month of December and I don't necessarily feel like talking about those things. But what's fantastic is that... um, That I can preach uh, his word and not my experience. I'm excited about that. And I, I in this process of, of uh, I've, I've been praying like the disciples prayed. Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. And um, part of uh, what stirred this up for me, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a short story and then we'll hop into the word talk about what it means to have faith, to trust, to risk, to anticipate, to expect. But uh, I got a, I got on a phone call Tuesday with a, with a guy who coaches pastors. And he helps them develop as leaders. And as we talked, he started asking me questions about Radiant Church. And, and one of the questions he asked me went something like this. He said to me, it's 10 years down the road and Radiant Church has been very successful. What is different? What has changed? And I, I, I felt pressure, you know, to have some sort of super spiritual answer for him, you know, to have something buttoned up. Um, so I paused for a little bit, and then I started in by saying to him, well, ten years from now, we will have planted a few churches. We'll, we'll plant them here in the valley. And then I told him that in ten years, we will have worked out our theological issues. And we will know who we are and what we're about. We'll have a I started telling him about having a strong stance about ecclesiology and our eschatology will be wrapped up. And as a church, we will have uh, written position papers on hot topics like divorce and women in ministry. As a church, 10 years from now, we will have wrestled with the tough issues and, and we'll have a clear understanding of the role God's given the church this church in the big picture of things. 
I explained to him that 10 years from now, one of the things that was different is that there was more clarity and there was more alignment. And I went on like this for probably like 15 minutes. I mean, I let him have it. All that was different. And he interrupted me. And he said, you know what's interesting to me? And I I, I again got quiet. And he said, I asked you what was different as a result of your success. And all you talked about was your church. In fact, all you've been talking about for the last 15 minutes is your church. And then he said to me, if Radiant Church is a success, shouldn't something be different about Visalia? And it just got really quiet on the phone. And then he started asking me, he said, so what about your city? If your church is a success, shouldn't something more than the church be different? And then he said, so you planted a few churches. Why? Who cares? For what, he says to me. He says, so you worked out your theological issues. Then what? Then what are you going to do? Is working out your theological issues as a church an end or a means to an end? So you know who you are. What difference does that make outside of your church, he says to me. So you've got elders and you've written position papers. So you've got clarity and you've got alignment. Then what do you do with that clarity and alignment? And it became so apparent to me in my conversation that I was so focused on the means as an end. And I I really feel like I've been working pretty hard inside of this church for the past uh, probably year to establish some clarity and some alignment. And in the process, I've lost sight of what we're moving towards in some ways. And he goes on to say this to me. He's like, so so what about the city's different? And he starts to throw things out. Like, hey, is, is teenage pregnancy like cut in half in Visalia? And I was like, He says, are, 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 so, so what? I mean, are, are marriages stronger? And I was like, oh, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> so what? Like, are, are the poor fed? So what are, are, like, captives? Are they, like, set free in the city? And I think the more he spoke, the more convicted I felt. And uh, realized that I was so focused on kind of internal issues that I had lost sight of what God was doing. And he ends with this one. He says to me, so, so like is crime down in Visalia? And I was like, I'm just trying to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> I'm not thinking about reducing crime rates. I'm just trying to manage, all right? The churches we want to plant are a means to impact the city. And I'm asking myself, like, what kind of impact are we hoping to have? Like, what exactly will it result in? If we plant churches and get our theology squared away, which is a long shot, but if we did those things, what would the impact be on, on the city and on our state and on the world? And I mean, it just, I felt a little bit overwhelmed by it. I hadn't thought about those things in a really long time.
right theology, again, it's, it's a means to an end. It's not the end. The goal is not to be right. I think there's many churches that have solid theology. And they're dying. So their beliefs aren't guiding their actions. There's a gap between those two things. I guess, therefore, forcing us to ask the question, do they really believe those things? Because we act on what we believe. And if there's a gap between your beliefs and your actions, I would ask yourself what you really believe. And I would dig and try to get under all the Christian slogans you've learned to repeat. I'd peel the bumper stickers off and see what lies behind that. Do you have vision for something more than working out your issues? Do we as a church have vision for something more than working out our issues? So you, so you have consistent quiet times, then what? Is that it? Again, consistent quiet times, solid theology, all those things, good things. But there are means. The whole thing was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I felt embarrassed. He was like, so I'll call you back in a couple weeks. And I was like, yeah, and I won't pick up. Because <laughs> I started this conversation as a pastor, and now I don't even know if I'm a Christian. <laughs> don't mess with me, man. I had to tell the guy that it had been a long time since I had dreamed about God changing a city. Really long time since I had dreamed about God changing a city. And I had to tell him that I had no idea what would be different in Visalia as a result of the success of Radiant Church. No clue. And I think at times I've been uh, clear. Right now I don't feel very clear at the moment. Just, just going to be honest with you guys. And I feel like for a time I've been in a bit of a, a, a phase, and I would call it the management reality stage. This church began in a creative dream stage. You know, everything that starts does. The business you started, the relationship you're in, um, any church, you sit around, you talk about ideas, and then we'll do this. And then we'll travel the world together. I honestly thought that the church would be this big after three weeks of having the doors open. <laughs> and it was 30 people for three years. And I think life has a way of beating you down to where you end up in this real, in a management reality stage. I'm just trying to handle what I got. That's more than enough. I'm overwhelmed with that. Don't talk to me about being creative, don't talk to me about dreaming. I can't even handle what's in front of me. Teenage pregnancy? I have three girls, and my wife's always pregnant. <laughs> I don't know. It's just been a long, I'm just, it's like, it's, you can either laugh or cry. But, and I've done both, but I'm, I'm crying. It's like, I, I just haven't thought about that in a really long time. And it's embarrassing. Your vision can quickly shrink to simply uh, having a place to meet. What's your vision for the church? Just to find some place to meet. Well, what will go on inside? I don't care as long as we're inside. I don't want to meet outside anymore. <laughs> What's worse than that is sometimes your vision for church can shrink into just simply hoping that people would come. Like that's it. Like that's the end. Come to church, man. Come to church. Come to church. Then what? 
And often, I think because of an evangelistic gifting, I've got a lot of vision for people to belong and not a lot of vision for what you'll become. And what's cool is that God's got vision for seeing you belong to the family of God, but then he's got vision for what you'll become inside that family. And I think it's so important as a church. I'm really, I, we've embraced a management reality stage. We've needed to in order to see our dreams succeed. We've embraced it. I'm not scared of it. But the management reality stage at this church is not a means to get this thing under control or a means for us to be comfortable. The management reality stage is a means for us to get back to the creative dreaming stage. We are cleaning up this mess in order to make another one. We're not trying to tame this thing, get it under control with membership. We're trying to eliminate some barriers and some inefficiencies that we see in hopes that we can return to the creative dream stage. If we don't return, we will have a dying church. If we don't begin to seek Jesus and ask him, what kind of messes can we make now? And how can we get in over our heads again? Um, you know, the doors might stay open, but this church will uh, begin to die. What about you? What about you? What are you uh, believing for? Really, what are you believing for? And is it more than just survival? Does it have anything to do with anyone outside of you? What are you anticipating? Where have you placed your faith? I think in, in many ways we adjust our expectations in order to avoid pain and disappointment, right? It's like, whoa, after one year of a church of 30 people, maybe this is harder than I thought. And then you blame, justify by saying, you know, culture is just so dark out there. New Rock 104 is just so powerful. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. I love this because I adjust my expectations in order to avoid pain and disappointment. You know, I don't want to be thinking that someone's going to show up when they don't. I don't want to be thinking that God's going to do something and then have him not do it. And I do that to avoid pain. And I do that to avoid disappointment. And I've not once avoided pain or disappointment. Has anyone here adjusted your expectation of what God would do in the life of a loved one? You know, there was a certain point... where you were believing, you had faith that God was going to break in, change this person. And then the years go on and you start to adjust your expectation because you feel disappointed and it hurts. Maybe that's not going to happen anyways. What's really interesting to me about that is is it any less painful to watch that loved one make the decisions that they make? Is it any less disappointing to spend Christmas with them and they don't have a walk with God? Have you successfully avoided pain? Have you successfully avoided disappointment? I would say no. Avoiding those things is like avoiding gravity. Stop wasting your time and I would invite you to believe God. Again, you don't have any other choice. Where are you going to go?
The church worldwide is celebrating the Advent season. The Advent season is a time to expect. In fact, the theme of the first week, which was actually last week, is a time to expect. And the Advent season uh, is a season that asks us what we're expecting, what we're anticipating, what we're believing for. It calls us to remember the expectation felt by the, the children of God, by the nation of Israel as they waited for a Messiah. And we are going to be participating in Advent in a sort of jacked up, radiant way. Um, I shouldn't say jacked up. We are going to participate in Advent in a different way. It's a great way. But what we're going to do is, for the next three weeks, as we talk about faith, we're going to incorporate the themes of Advent. The vocabulary and the terms used for the season of Advent are fantastic to talk about faith. Expectation. Preparation. Trust, response, celebration. These are the themes of the Advent season. And I can't think of better words to describe and define faith. And so as we talk about faith, we're going to be talking about the Advent season. We'll talk this week about expectation. We'll talk next week about preparation. We'll talk the week after that about trust and release. And then we will talk, well actually each week you'll have an opportunity to respond, and on Christmas Eve we'll celebrate together with Savior's Community Church. So we'll do all the things that Advent calls us to do, just in a jumbled up way. Sorry, did it, sorry about that. Um, So as we talk about faith today, my hope is that God is going to stir an expectation in us. I'm hoping that this season, this Christmas season, is going to remind us to expect great things. Because part of what it means to walk in faith is to have expectation. Forgive me if I go through this kind of systematically. But there's some things that I feel like need to be touched on. But I really feel like there's a few stories that I want to highlight. And so I'll give you um, some definitions and some different things about faith but, but there's really a couple points that the, the Holy Spirit has highlighted for me. So forgive me if this feels, um, forgive me if it feels kind of stiff. But I, I, I guess I'd have to bring some definition to the word faith. Um, a Webster's definition would be a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Hebrews chapter 11, however, gives us a really cool definition of faith. And you've heard this scripture before probably. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Two main things I want to point out is that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is so real to God, he calls it substance. The Greek word used for substance literally means that which stands under something else. Or provides the basis for something else. Faith is the underlying reality. And faith, according to scripture, is real. Real substance. It's got girth to it. The second thing, faith, is the evidence of things not seen. One translation says the conviction of things not seen. The vital point here in this is that faith is not seen. Faith relates to the invisible. Two verses later, the author, he stresses the point. He says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. What we see today, what we can touch, taste, smell, what we experience today, was not made out of things that were visible, but things that were invisible. 
There's a contrast between things that are seen and things that are not. Our senses, they connect us to the visible world, right? What you can touch, see, taste, feel. Our senses connect us to the visible world. Faith connects us to the invisible. Faith connects us to eternal realities. We're told to have faith, right, in the economy. We're told to have faith in medicine. But really, in a biblical sense, it refers to realities that we can't see with our naked eye. Paul dittos it, for we walk by faith, not by sight. If we're walking by sight, we do not need faith. If we are walking by faith, we do not need sight. They exclude each other. The world says that what seeing is believing. The scriptures tell us that believing is seeing. David writes, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Belief coming before what is seen. Jesus said to Martha in reference to him raising Lazarus from the dead, did did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Faith enables us to see what is unseen and really enables us to endure when the visible world offers us no hope or encouragement. All right, now that I brought a quick definition to the word faith, everybody clear? Kind of. I want to tell you a couple things that it's impossible to do without faith. A couple things that it's impossible to do without faith. And the first of which is that it is impossible to please God without faith. Just think about that. I'm not going to say anything else. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There's a lot that you're up to, a lot that you're doing. If you're not doing it in faith, it's not pleasing God. Impossible to please him without faith. God demands faith. He says this, the righteous man shall live by faith. Even a crazier passage, whatever is not of faith is sin. He who comes to God must come with faith. Here's the other thing that it's impossible to do without faith. It's impossible to possess. Specifically, it's impossible to possess a testimony. Listen to this passage out of Hebrews 11 from the Living Bible. It says, For faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the demonstration of things that are not seen. It is only by faith that the elders possessed a testimony. It is only by faith that the elders possessed a testimony. I don't know about you guys, but when I think of someone's testimony, I think of something that happens to someone. Right? I mean, the people that we ask to have come share their testimony are the people that have had something significant happen to them. And the guy gets up here and he's like, I was on drugs. I was doing so much drugs. All I did was drugs. All I thought about was drugs. And then God, right? And then God broke in, and he what? Then he flushed those drugs down the toilet, right? When I think of a testimony, I think of something that happens to you. Well, let's just wait for God to give us a testimony as a church. We're waiting on you to deliver us from drugs. We need it, God. It says that the elders possessed a testimony. That means that they actually seized a testimony. They had resolve that said, I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to get a testimony. I don't wake up with that type of faith. I'm wanting a testimony just like you are. I'm wanting to communicate what God's done in, in, in my life. But I'm not waking up each morning and going, I know what I'll do today. I'll go take hold of a testimony. I will possess a testimony. It's impossible to possess a testimony without faith. And the elders, by faith, possessed a testimony that is still impacting us today. Can I say, I can, 
Can I say that what the church needs is a testimony? It really does. You show me a church that's alive and growing, and I'll show you a church with a testimony. Might not have everything squared away, but it has a testimony. Show me a church that's dying, and I will show you a church with no testimony. God's not doing anything there. There's nothing to talk about. We talk about what, once, what God once did. We don't talk about what God's doing now. That's why Jesus, when he preached the gospel, he brought a demonstration and proclamation. He didn't just proclaim the gospel, he demonstrated the gospel. And he often sent people that had nothing more than a healing back to their communities to be the evangelist or the church planter. Who knows if they even knew his name? Guarantee they didn't have their theology squared away. They don't have theology. They have a testimony. And they're sharing their testimony with their community. And the church is growing in those areas. The church needs a testimony. I don't know about you guys, but I, I want my, my life to uh, communicate faith. I want to be a testimony. I want to model faith. Hebrews 13 says this, Remember those who are called to be models for you and to teach you the word of God. Consider, meaning imitate and reproduce. The issue, the fruit, the example, the result, the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What an amazing thing to model. As I read this passage, I was thinking like, I want my life to model faith. What I want my life to communicate is that Jesus Christ is the same today, what yesterday, today, and forever. I would love it if what my little girls walked away from, that what my little girls uh, saw in me, what I modeled for them, is the idea that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That was the testimony that I had. I mean, is that... Does that excite anybody else that, that someone would see you and what they would say about you is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? The God of the Bible is the God of today. I love those people when I meet those people. Where I'm going, the God of, whoa, they just start talking and you start thinking, the God of the Bible is the God of today. They start telling stories and you're listening to them and you're like, this sounds like the book of Acts. The God of the Bible is the God of today. This passage reminds us that it's really important that we remember the faith of those who came before us. That we remember and imitate the faith of those who came before us. Abraham, we know in scripture, is called the father of the faith. The father of all who believe. Listen to this passage from Isaiah 51 that's on the front of your bulletins. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness and thirst for the living God. Fasten your eyes on the rock from which you were hewn. The rock from which you were cut. I don't know why I put that in there. I've never said hewn in my whole entire life. Is it somewhere else? Does anyone's translation say that? I'm sorry. My theology is clearly not squared away. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness and thirst for the living God. I just got so excited. Fasten your eyes on the rock from which you were cut. Give your attention to Abraham, your father. For I called him when he was alone and unknown. I blessed him and multiplied him. For the Lord shall restore all the wasted place and make wells of living water spring forth in the desert. Joy and voices of thanksgiving and gladness can be heard again. Give me your attention, my people. Set your eyes on Abraham. Do you think that after reading that, that potentially Abraham has something to say to us? Maybe. 
In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to come out of his father's house. Come out of your father's house. When we read Genesis 11, the chapter before it, we come to understand that Abraham, his father Terah, and their whole entire clan had left Ur of Chaldea for Canaan. Canaan represents in Scripture, it symbolizes and typifies a land of promise, a land of destiny, a land of fulfillment. So they left, and they set out for Canaan. The journey, harsh. The journey was long. The journey was exhausting. They were hit with tragedy. They were hit with threats. Abraham's brother dies. And what's really interesting is that they stopped in the place that has the exact same name as Abraham's brother, Haran. They stopped in Haran. Abraham's brother, who passed away on the journey, his name was Haran. They stopped on this journey in Haran. Canaan typifies, symbolizes for us a land of promise, a land of destiny, a land of fulfillment. Haran, on the other hand, means the dry place, the place of small fruit. Abraham is on his way, and his father are on their way to Canaan, the place of promise, fulfillment, destiny. You know, you've heard that sermon before. And they get hung up in Haran, the dry place, the place of little fruit. And I think it's significant that the, play, the name of the place was the name of the son that was lost. Because I think for many of us in our walk of faith and our journeys of faith have settled in a place of disappointment. It doesn't take long in a conversation where you're talking to someone about praying for healing and how they've stopped praying for healing and how they've settled and it doesn't take long for, the, for that place of disappointment to come out. Because I had a friend with cancer who I was believing. I was believing that they would be healed. And it didn't happen. We typically get hung up in the dry place. The place of small fruit. You're probably uh, in, in some way or another stuck in a place of grief and loss. Unable, as Abraham's father was unable, to move forward and possess what God had asked them to possess. Because you've settled in a place of grief and loss. The word of the Lord then comes to Abraham and says, Come out, come forth. Come out of your father's house. I'm convinced that when they stopped in Haran, they've had no intention of staying there. I really don't think that they walked up on the dry place, the place of small fruit, when they knew that they were on the way to the promised land of fulfillment, destiny, promise, all that God had spoken to them, that they came up on the place, the dry place, the place of small fruit, and said, this is it. This is where we pitch our tents. This is where we stay. This is where we die. I don't think that they woke up you know, and said, you know, one morning I had this great idea. Let's be mediocre. Let's not step into the fullness of what God has for us. Let's just die here. Great idea. That's not what happened. It's more subtle than that. And it's more subtle than that in your life. God has a promise. God has a destiny. God wants to fulfill you. He's taking you on to something. And too many times we get hung up in the dry place. We get hung up in the place of little fruit. We settle. God's call to Abraham was to leave. Go. Get out of here. Don't spend your time and don't die in the place of little fruit. And my desire this week, as I heard this man speak to me, and my desire this morning in communicating with you, is that you need to go. Don't die in the dry place. Don't shrivel up. 
Don't settle in the place of small fruit. I pray this morning that God would increase our faith in a personal God, in a passionate God, in a God who's preoccupied to lead us step by step into promise, into fulfillment, into destiny. I want to say this, that faith is a thirst and faith is a refusal. And we see this in the life of Abraham. He refused to settle in the place of small fruit. And I'm up here by faith saying to you that I refuse to settle in the place of small fruit. I won't stay here in this dry place. I refuse small worship. I refuse small sanctification. I refuse small transformation. I refuse small faith. I refuse to settle for those things. I refuse Haran. The place of small passion. The place of small purity. The place of small compassion, small conviction, small mentality, and a small message. Faith is a refusal. Faith is a determination not to settle. Not to settle in the place of little fruit. And some of you are scared because when I talk about God increasing you, I'm not asking you to name it and claim it. When I say that God wants to increase you, I'm not talking about Escalades with spinners. And I'm not talking about colored suits. God has, just like He did with Abraham, He's called you, He's blessed you, and He wants to increase you. Get okay with it. He's called you, He's blessed you, and He wants to increase you. Not with escalates, not with suits, not with armor bearers. He wants to increase you in your capacity to love. He wants to increase you in your generosity. He wants to increase you in an ability to trust Him. He wants to increase you in your capacity to give, to open up, to be transparent and vulnerable. He wants to prosper you. And that may include financial blessing. But don't worry. I'm not asking you to name or claim anything. I'm asking you to take a stand today and understand that faith is a refusal. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to settle here. I'm not going to stay here. I'm moving on. Where are you going? I'm not sure. What will you do? Who knows? I won't stay here in this dry place. I'm refusing this. Faith is a thirst and a refusal. Would that grow in your hearts? Or have you settled are you just content with a small God? Are you content with little generosity and little glory? Are you content with little aspirations and little authority? Are you content with little risk and therefore very little realizations? Are you content with small hearts and small hopes? Are you content with little tears and so little triumphs? Are you content with small forgiveness and small favor on your life? Are you content with little repentance and so therefore little revelation? Will you settle with small desires and then experience a small deliverance? Small mercy, small miracles. Small thirst, and then a small testimony. I can't really remember when God saved me. I think it was at a camp. 
I'm refusing a, a small love and a small life. I, uh, I want to go big as a church. And I'm inviting you to come along with me. I think as a church, uh, I, I, at least I've seen modeled for me a couple different things where I feel like uh, the church rarely gets this thing right of expectant faith. It usually falls off on one side or the other. And I think in the evangelical world, we fall off in the side of fatalism. Our faith becomes fatalism. Quit attaching the words, if it be your will, to everything. God, heal them if it be your will. But then when you really start to pray is when you start to pray for courage and perseverance. Because that's what you've got faith for. Heal them if it be your will, God. If not, kill them. You know? It's like, it, it really is. It gets really fatalistic, I think. On the other hand, though, is, is presumption. Our expectant faith turns into, at its worst, us ordering God around. Heal him, God, now! You know, it's just this ordering of God. It's presumptuous. And at Radiant Church, we want to get it right and have expectant faith. Not fatalism and not presumption. But expectant faith. How will we do that? I have no idea. We'll probably be fatalistic and presumptuous and then repent of being both. And then we will swing. And at some point we will find the middle. I want to end with a story. It's a short story. Is everyone with me this morning? I feel faith growing. Um. There, there was a time I, I, was, uh, I was typing this morning, and I was thinking of this, and, and uh, and, uh, and, it, and it started to stir faith. And so I want to share it with you. I don't know how much to share, but uh, I was 23 years old. My wife and I took over as the youth pastors at Savior's Community Church. And one of the first things we did uh, was do a, a beach camp, which had been a tradition at the church for many years. There was over 100 kids at this beach camp. And it was the first thing we had led. And, uh, and we had just been married probably like eight months, I guess. Maybe ten months. So there was, there was just a lot on our plate. And this, this group of kids... <laughs> My small group consisted of two guys who had never been to the beach because their dad was in prison. They'd never seen the ocean. My group also consisted of a couple guys on hard drugs. It took us till Friday of the camp to even pray together. On Wednesday, I'm sleeping in my car, or yeah, I'm sleeping in my car and Tiff's sleeping in the girls' tent so that we can connect with the students. Stupid idea. Because um, I think we felt pretty disconnected. On Wednesday uh, of that week, my brother, who came to the camp, um, keeps me up till probably three or four in the morning t- telling me that he's gay. And I think my wife had said things uh, to me, uh, but I had ignored those things. And, and in some ways, it was just came as a shock. And the camp was horrible. I don't know, maybe there were some of you who are here that were there and you wouldn't say that it was horrible. I would say that that camp was horrible. Would you say it stunk, Steve? No, it was good. All right. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> I, I was bleeding. And, uh, oh, yeah, you know what? The other guys in my small group, one had watched his brother drown at the cliffs like a month before. I'm 23 in charge of this massive group of young people. The speaker is talking about, I'm not sure what. It was bad. And uh, I'm having to make excuses for her, you know, like she's Canadian. And, because she was. And, uh, I mean, I'm cracking jokes, because again, I want to cry. But, I'll just joke. And, so... So we get home, and, and, and honestly, there had been such a swirl of, of things going on 
that I really didn't feel like I had really like processed what went on. You know when you feel like you're not even really connected to the grief or the loss and you're just kind of charging forward, but, but you know that there's something inside of you that's broken, something that's sick, you know? And um, I came home, and again, it was the follow-up from the camp, and, and uh, finally, I, I was telling Tiff, we got to get out of here. I feel like I need to grieve a loss, you know? I, I feel like this camp, not just this camp, but what went on with my brother has kicked my butt, and I need to find some space, find a place to deal with it. You know this type of thinking? And so Tiff and I decide that we're going to go up to a conference in Canada. No, Oregon. We were flat broke, so we slept in our car in Oregon in January. Terrible. And you know, I'm just heavy. Uh, self-pity has set in. Um, yeah, there's just a heaviness, a cloud. And we're in the conference, and, and, and this, this, this thought keeps going through my head is, I need to grieve the loss. I need to grieve this loss. I need to process this loss. And it keeps coming. You need to grieve the loss. You need to grieve the loss, you know? And I, and I, I was actually following and responding to the voice. Well, one time I'm sitting in this conference. I'm sitting in this service. Someone's speaking, and all I can hear is that you've got to grieve this loss, And all of a sudden, something flipped for me, and I started to realize that this wasn't the voice of my father, and this wasn't an invitation from Jesus, that my father was actually being accused, and that this was the accuser of the brother trying to get me to a place where I would resign and just forfeit, settle. And and I'm thinking, and I'm starting to kind of burn, because I felt like I had been entertaining this voice for probably six months. You need to resign. You need to, I mean, not only did I feel like resigning inside, I honestly felt like resigning at the church. You need to quit. Forfeit. And I walked into the bathroom, and you know, uh, you know God's doing something in your life when you don't care who's around you or who can hear you. If those people bug you in the church... Understand that God's doing something in someone's life to bring them to the place where they actually don't know that you're there or more than that, don't care that you're there. And I walked into the bathroom and there might have been people in the stalls, but I'm looking in the mirror and I'm drying my hands, drying my face, and all I can hear is that you need to grieve. And I just started to realize, like, this, this is not the voice of my father This is not, and so I start screaming in the bathroom. I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't think the devil was in the bathroom, Um, but I can't stop hearing this voice. And so I start screaming in the bathroom. And what I said, and this is an edited version, was, was screw you. I'm, I'm looking at the mirror and I'm like, screw you, you know, probably at that point, someone in a stall, like pick their feet up. And it's like, in a mirror, I start prophesying to myself. And I start building myself up in my faith. And what I start yelling over and over again at the mirror is that I'm not dealing with anything in my brother that Jesus Christ has not dealt with on the cross. You grieve the loss. You grieve the loss. I'm not dealing with anything that Jesus Christ has not paid for on the cross. You grieve the loss. I start screaming in the mirror. I'm not going to suffer the loss. I'm not dealing with anything here that hasn't been dealt with by Christ. Faith started to grow. And I stopped entertaining this accusation. What I want to invite you to is a place where faith is a refusal. You don't embrace this stuff as reality. If you're here and you've got same-sex attraction going on, there's room for you here. And you're not dealing with anything that Jesus doesn't want to deal with you with. A 
feel like we're supposed to worship again. Sean, would you come lead us in worship? Can you lead us in here as love? I'm going to invite you to respond uh, in worship. And I'm going to invite you to respond to the possibility of a God who is passionate and totally preoccupied with walking you step by step into promise and into fulfillment and into destiny. He's wanting to increase you. I'm going to invite you beyond the place of settling with small fruit Settling with small tears and small triumph and start believing God for something more than putting, uh, for me, a financial board in place. I'm going to pray for us and I want to invite you to respond by moving since this is what Abraham did. He moved. And if God's done doing stuff in your heart, you can move out the doors. That's totally cool. If you feel like you've settled inside and you're wanting to take a stand today and say, I will not settle in a dry place. I will not settle in a land of small fruit. I'm moving on from this small place. I'd invite you to move by standing, move by coming up to the front and asking God, I want to expect you to do great things. Not necessarily even in the future, but I'm expecting you to do great things today. I'm expecting you to do great things this holiday season. And I'm committing to expect, to anticipate, to believe, to have faith and trust in you. If you've resigned, I'd invite you to move forward, to stand up. And I would pray that this song, as we sing it, would, I guess, reveal to us what's possible through the cross. Let me pray. We say again, God, that there's power in the name of Jesus. Pray that you would reveal to us what the cross has made possible. I pray that you would reveal to us the power of your blood. I pray that you would deal with our sin and shame. I pray that you would activate our hearts. Where we've settled and resigned, would you ignite us with your love. In Jesus' name. If you're up front kneeling and you'd like to receive prayer, there'll be a group of people uh, ready to lay hands on you and pray that God would increase your faith. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time. Ah!